The reading tonight will be Psalm 117. So please turn there. Psalm 117. Praise the Lord, all nations. Extol him, all people. For great is his steadfast love toward us, and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. Now, if you will, please turn back to Psalm 8. Many of us look to Sunday worship as an opportunity to set aside the daily grind and come together with other Christians to worship God. And in that worship to find refreshment and strength and encouragement, new direction for our lives. We want songs that stir us. We want prayers that uplift us. We want time at the Lord's Supper that will remind us and reassure us that our sins are forgiven. In the sermon, we want vital, dynamic words that connect our lives to the scriptures. We want a sense of being closer to God than when we came. And we have a deep longing for a sense of his presence in our lives. All to help us live the daily routine, the daily grind. Such a desire for God and a sense of his presence is as it should be. There was a 4th century Christian leader named Augustine who in one of his writings addressing God said it very well, our hearts are restless until they rest in thee. We're drifting in a sea of uncertainty and unknown, not sure which way the wind of life will blow us until we cast a life anchor into the heart of God and worship is one of the most important ways that we do that. But the reality is is that we don't always find all of that in worship, do we? Sometimes the prayers are just repetition of all the other prayers that have been offered. The song leader doesn't choose songs that we like to sing, although he chose all of my songs tonight. So I appreciate him. But the song leader doesn't always sing the ones that we want. Unfortunately, the Lord's Supper is just another Lord's Supper can become a habit. And to be honest, we really don't know who the preacher was talking to because he really wasn't talking to us. And according to Wiley's dictionary in Johnny Hart's cartoon, B.C., a sermon is an inspired message directed mainly at those who are not in attendance. And what does that do for those of us that are in attendance? Well, admittedly, our worship isn't always what it should be. Those who lead us are not as fresh and lively as we would like them to be, and they don't connect us as we would like. But to be equally honest, sometimes we bring so many burdens and worldly concerns with us, so many thoughts about later in the day or what's going to happen tomorrow, that it doesn't matter what the leadership of worship does, we still don't get our minds focused on worship, on what's going on. But I think there's an even deeper problem that affects us, and that is that we come with an expectation that worship is a place where we are going to get something and not an activity in which we do something, in which we give something. 
The true focus, the spiritual focus of worship is not on us. Or at least it's not supposed to be. And it's not to be on our daily concerns. The focus of our worship is on God. It is in Him and in worshiping Him that we find the strength and the rest and the comfort and the direction that we need. It is in worshiping God and giving Him our praise that we find what we need in this hour together in God's presence. And so for the lesson this evening, I I want to focus our hearts, uh, our devotion and our worship on God. I hope that we will come away with a sense of having been in his presence. And to do that, I want us to look at this psalm of praise, psalm number 8. To borrow the words of a great British preacher, I want this sermon tonight to be uh, a Jacob's Ladder. A Jacob's Ladder that will lift our minds and hearts to heaven and to our Father's throne where we can worship him and praise him together. So let's listen to Psalm 8. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is thy name in all the earth. Thou whose glory above the heavens is chanted by the mouths of babes and infants. Thou hast founded a bulwark because of thy foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast established, what is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou dost care for him? Yet thou hast made him little less than God, and dost crown him with glory and honor. Thou hast given him dominion over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet. All sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is thy name in all the earth. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is thy name in all the earth. Verse 1, part A. We are worshiping a king this evening. We are in his presence, not the king of a country, not a king whose name was Elvis or Michael. We worship a king of kings and lord of lords who is over all. We worship the king who created the universe. We worship the king who sustains the universe, the one who rules the universe. And we bow our hearts to him this morning, this evening and declare that is his name that is above every name. And while there may be glory of different kinds, God's glory is above all glory. And while there may be power of different kinds, his power is above all power. In all the earth, there is no name like the Lord's name. In all the earth, in all the universe, we declare there is no one like God. He is glorious and he is powerful, he is wise. And there is no one more worthy of praise than God. We whom he has made in all the earth which he has also made bow before him this evening to worship him and to praise him. We are in his presence. He is here with us tonight. We are standing on holy ground just as surely as Moses stood on holy ground at the burning bush. We sit in our comfortable pews, padded pews, When in truth, we ought to remove our shoes and bow our heads to the ground. God is in our midst, and we declare that he is not just the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, or Peter, Paul, and John. He is our God. 
and each of us are sheep of his pasture. How majestic is his name in all the earth. Some of us may have read the devotional book that was popular years ago called Your God is Too Small. Well, at least in the title, the author had it right, didn't he? People try to make God over in their image because we can manage a little God like that. We want to make it on our own. We have this drive to be our own boss, the captain of our own ship. Of course, in time of trouble, we want him to be a big God and come to our rescue right now. But the rest of the time, we tend to want him to stay at the edge of our life, keeping watch to be sure, but not interfering too much. We want him to answer our prayers, but we don't ask for too much. We don't expect much. We find it easier to walk by sight and not by faith. And so we don't ask for much more than what we could do for ourselves. But the Lord, David, tells us our God has a name that is majestic in all the earth. His greatness, his strength, his wisdom, his love, his mercy are beyond our ability to measure as is his willingness and his desire to bless us and to love us. It is so very right and it is so very necessary that as his people we worship him this evening, that we sing the praises of him who gives us life and sustains that life and redeems that life for us and for himself. How right it is for us to stop thinking about ourselves and bow together in his presence to adore him and to give him glory. God has set his glory above the heavens, the second part of verse 1 and verse 2. It is not simply that God's name is majestic throughout the earth, but beyond the blue skies, beyond the heavens with their stars and their planets, David reminds us that God's glory is on display and that God dwells in splendor. Paul tells Timothy that God dwells in inapproachable light. His glory is set above the heavens. But at the same time, even babies and small children praise God. And he uses their praise, David says, to build a fortress, a bulwark, a strength against his enemies, against his foes, against the avenger, against all of those who pride themselves on their strength and assert themselves against him and his rule against those who do not recognize the glory of God when it is revealed before them. But the weak and the small and the insignificant, the humble who have God's name on their lips, they acknowledge and in some sense even understand the majesty and the revelation of God revealed in his name, as one writer put it. They recognize the king and they worship him. Are there too many things that are more beautiful than a group of little children singing Jesus Loves Me? I don't think so. And what do we make of the amazement and the wonder that fills their faces when they hear the story of baby Jesus? Or about Noah and the ark, or about David and Goliath? And what do we make of the way they sometimes just belt out songs in worship because we've, we've sung their favorite song? I know a little boy whose favorite song is My Hope is Nothing Less Than Jesus' Blood and Righteousness and a congregation of 150 couldn't out sing that little fellow because that was his song. 
And all that, even if the child cannot explain it, it's worship and praise of God, and they are moved to worship him. So let us be like little children. Let us have their love for their Redeemer, little children to whom the kingdom of God truly belongs, praising him, adoring him, and thanking him. Let us be little children who find God amazing and wonderful, who delight in telling him he is all of those things, For as Jesus himself says, to such belong the kingdom of heaven. When I look to your heavens, the work of your fingers, verse 3 to 5, think about those special nights when there are no clouds, the skies are clear, the night skies are full of stars shining brightly. Who hasn't seen that and, and not been moved by their beauty? When we think about all of that, when we consider it, when we meditate on it, we must recognize that as beautiful it is as it is and as expansive as it is, it is still just the finger work of God. It is something he has done with his fingers. As some of you know very well, my wife is one of those women who was born with a sewing needle in her hand. We will have been married 39 years next May, and in that time I think there have been no more than a dozen evenings when she didn't have some kind of needlework in her hands. I don't know how she does it, but she watches television and carries on a conversation with me and just keeps right stitching. Well, David's saying God does finger work, and with his finger work he fills the universe with stars and planets and moons, just like we might sit and fill a piece of paper with doodles. Just as we hang Christmas ornaments on the tree with great care, so God has hung his moon and stars in the heavens. He assigns them their place in the expanse of the universe. And every star, every moon, every planet declares the might of God, the wisdom of God, the glory of God, the majesty of God. As we have just sung, our God is an awesome God. And he does awesome things. And for all that the heavens are so awesome to us, so vast and so immeasurable, again, they are nothing more than his finger work. So in light of such awesome power, there really comes an overwhelming question. One that we have to wrestle with. One that we have to consider carefully. And the question is, what is man? What are human beings that God is mindful of them? What are human beings, in light of all of that, that God cares for us? We are small creatures on a small planet going around a small sun in one corner of a galaxy among thousands of galaxies. But once again, nevertheless, we are on God's mind. We are always in his concerns. Our daily needs, our moment-to-moment sustenance is always, always, always on God's to-do list. He cares for us. He provides for us. He gives us air to breathe, food to eat, water to drink, clothes to wear. I I know Mitch can explain this far better than I can, but he placed our planet just at exactly the right distance from the sun and at exactly the right angle to sustain our lives. He created the cycles of the weather and the cycles of seed time and harvest to provide for us. And he did that because he cares for us, not because we deserve it or or not because we're great in the universe, but because he is. And he loves us and he cares for us. 
Again, we, we are nothing on any scale you want to use, not even as large as dust motes in the universe. If anyone has reason to be humble, we do. And yet, David tells us that God has made us a little lower than the heavenly beings, the NIV says. A little lower than the angels, the King James says. A little lower than God, the Revised English says. A little less than divine, another translation reads. You made us a little lower than yourself, reads another. And the point is not that God made us just a notch below himself, but that when all of nature is considered, God has made us the highest of all of his creatures, below only himself, as another writer put it so well. We are crowned by God with glory and honor. God who is sovereign, God who is king of the universe, bestows sovereignty and rule upon us. In countless ways, the world declares that human life is not worth very much. Every abortion is a declaration that human life is worthless. Everyone who dies accidentally in a drive-by shooting is a declaration that human life is of little value. Slavery is not an ancient evil that we have done away with. It is an evil that continues in our country, in our state, in our city, in our community. Our elderly are sometimes treated uh, in a bad way. They're warehoused because we don't want to deal with them. And how often do people walk on the other side when they see a homeless person or begrudge assistance to people in need? Untold billions of dollars are made around the world exploiting children and women in the making of pornography with no concern about the damage done to them or done to the people who will consume the pornography. No, the world declares that human beings are not worth very much. You are not worth very much as far as the world is concerned. And yet the God who made us declares that we are worth everything to him that we are worth a great deal, and he has given us a share in his glory and his dominion. He declares that we are worth remembering and caring for, that we are the objects of his love. We are the ones he redeems with the blood of his own son. And so tonight we are the ones who say, praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures here below. We are the ones who say, praise him, all ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Or we sing, let all of all that is within us cry worthy. Let all that is within me cry worthy, worthy, worthy is the Lord our God. You've given him dominion over the work of your hands, verse 6 through 9. The God, God rules the universe and all that is in it. But he also gives human beings rule over what he has made. He has put everything under our feet. He is the king of kings, but the humans he has made, he has also made kings with dominion and authority, which he has given. It's popular among environmentalists to tell us that we are just part of nature, that there's not really a significant difference between a person, a dog, a rat, or even a cockroach, which kind of goes back to what we said a moment ago about the value of human life. And sometimes they seem to think that little fish and little birds and little animals are of far greater value than people. It is true that we are created beings, 
It is true that we share the planet with the rest of God's creatures, but it is not true that we are just one more creature of no greater or lesser value. And we certainly are not creatures of no value compared to the rest. God has entrusted to us the dominion, the rule, the authority over all life on this planet. The domesticated animals on our farms, the wild animals in our woods and forests and deserts and mountains and lakes, the birds of the air, the fish of the sea, all the creatures that inhabit the sea, all of them have been put under our care, under our feet. Now to some that has meant that we are free to use and abuse and misuse the creation any way we want to. But that's not true. God rules, and in his rule he nurtures and cares and provides for his creation. He protects and sustains and blesses and recreates his creation. And this is the work that God has shared with us when he has given us dominion. This is the work that he expects us to do in his world, to nurture and to care for it and to provide and protect and to sustain Again, we have to ask, what are human beings that God is mindful of them and that he cares for them? Why does he entrust so very much to us? Well, we haven't mentioned that God also shares his work of salvation with making us his witnesses and his messengers of the gospel. Why should God think so highly of us? Why would he do so much for us? How do we begin to answer that question? And even more, how do we ever begin to adequately say thank you for what he's done for us? And yet God does think so highly of us. He loves us and he redeems us. Words fail us. Words are inadequate. Words are small. And because they are, all we can say is, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. How worthy of honor and glory and power and praise. How worthy of our adoration and our praise, our worship. Our daily routine, our daily grind, the weariness that comes from one day passing into the next. The troubles in the world that cause us uncertainty and fear. The cruelty of the world that says we are nothing weighs us down and burdens us and depresses us and wears us out and burns us out. And against all of that, in the face of all of that, what defense do we have? We have God. And we have worship and praise together to offer up to him. God, King of kings, creator of the universe, and ruler of the universe, has given us honor and glory and dominion and authority. He has provided us with a special place in his universe. And in that place, we worship. We, we give him praise. And in that worship, in those acts of worship that we do together, we draw close to him. And he lifts us up. And he makes us to stand before him. And he gives us his strength and his blessing. O oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is thy name in all the earth. We'll finish now with a song of encouragement. There may be somebody in need of prayer tonight or needing to do God's will. And if you do, please come while we stand and sing.